queer fam, and welcome to Hey Adora, your queer Shira podcast. I'm Princess Jenny, she, her, and with me today is a special guest host, Holy Rainbow Pegacorn. Who could it be? Hi, everyone. It's producer Ashley, she, her. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Jenny. So we are sorry that we have left all of our wonderful peeps wanting more for a bit longer than we planned. We needed a hiatus. We're hoping it would be a bit shorter. But, you know, life happens. We had some gay adulting to do. Meph will also be back very soon. The full Super Pal Trio team will be here to service all your gay screaming needs. This week, in honor of Catradora Month, which it now is, we are doing a Best of Catradora bonus ep. Yeah, we are. Can you believe? First of all, can you believe it's only been a year? Slash, can you believe it's been a full year since the queer kiss that saved the universe? I know. It's what a weird year. It's like (laughs) the longest and the shortest all at the same time. Yeah, it's the weirdest year Probably the weirdest year of my life. Yeah, definitely for me. Catradora saw us through one of the worst years mm-hmm. of the 21st century, certainly. Yeah. We don't need to get into that. So obviously, a Best of Catradora episode could take hours and hours and hours, and we don't have that kind of time. So we are going to, you know, we're going to obviously go through the big touch points And as Mef would say, you know, the overall flow of the main narrative that is their character development together and as individuals, which, you know, their development as a togetherness can't happen without them growing as individuals. That's why that's why our list of episodes that we are discussing today, it's like a third of season one. (laughs) And then nothing until season three, two episodes at the end of season three, I'm sure you know, and then fully half of season five, a little more than (laughs) half of season five. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, I mean, it's just, that's, you know, it's where do they start? They had to go on their separate journeys. They had to check in, be like, are you still fucked up? Yeah. Are you still (laughs) fucked up? Oh, yeah. I'm more fucked up now than I was before. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We don't know what the fuck is going on. We're still gay and confused. Yes. Not confused about being gay, just confused about life. And then, you know, that sweet, sweet season five comes in to save the day. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you guys want to know, since we're not doing a traditional episodic episode, I am just going to let you know all of the eps that we're going to discuss today. Hope we have time to get through all of them. I think we will. We are going to discuss Season 1, Episode 1, The Sword Part 1, written by Noelle Stevenson. 102, The Sword Part 2, written by Noelle Stevenson. 108, Princess Prom! Written by head writer Josie Campbell. Episode 111, Promise, written by Noelle Stevenson. Episode 305, Remember... (laughs) Also written by Noel Stevenson. <laughs> you can see it's a pattern. A lot of the heavy hitting Catchador episodes are written by Noel, but not all of them. 305 and 306 are back to back. Episode 306 is The Portal, written by Josie Campbell. And then we skip straight from the middle directly to season five. We're not discussing anything in season two or season four. We jump straight to season five with Corridors, written by Catherine Nolfi. Episode five by five. Thank you, Faith. You all know the one. Save, Save the cat. The Save fucking the cat. cat. Written again by Noelle Stevenson. Thank you, Noelle. 
for saving all of us along with the cat. 506, Taking Control, written by Laura Srebney. 508, Shot in the Dark, written by Catherine Nolfi. 511, Failsafe, written by Catherine Nolfi. 512, Heart Part 1, written by Josie Campbell. 513, Heart Part 2, written by Noelle Stevenson. So we begin and end with our awesome, genderqueer, epic leader. I don't want to call Noelle Jesus anymore because... You know, I don't even know that much about Jesus besides, you know, he started out Jewish. So, you know, I don't know what a good moniker for Noel is anymore. All around badass. All around badass sovereign of us. Yes. If you guys have ideas about what our new badass official title for Noel could be, why don't you hit us up? Yeah. Twitter. You guys know all the places you can find us. TikTok, Insta. Send us an email. We are open to all your sassy ideas. So those are all the episodes we hope to get through right now. And so before we get into the individual episodes, I just wanted to start with a very brief, because if I get too deep in this, we'll never get through it all. <laughs> a very brief, like, macro view of, you know, this whole journey. Because on the whole, I think it's very relatable. Yeah. You know, they start out as childhood slash lifelong BFFs mm -hmm. who really, you know, they both want more, but obviously you don't have the words and the language for that when you're a child. Mm -hmm. And then when you start to grow towards adulthood, you know, it's not like automatically one day you're just like, oh yeah, we're gay for each other. Let's transition now to being <laughs> girlfriends. Right. Like, has anyone ever had that conversation? No. I don't think so. It just like slowly creeps up on you over the years. Yes. And on top of that, they were both horribly abused right. and their abuse was all in witness of each other and wrapped up together. Mm -hmm. But it was different for both of them. Yeah. And so they both have to sort out all that shit. And that's not even aside from the fact that they both have these separate journeys they have to go on. They don't want the exact same things. They can't always stick together when they're going and they're literally going in two different directions. Yeah. But I think it's good that they're going in two different directions because they really got to work out their shit as individuals on their own. Yeah. I mean, we the season five we got wouldn't have happened if they hadn't taken their no. time apart from each other. They both have to become whole people. Yep. Um, so they can, you know, not be codependent gays. Right. <laughs> so they go on those separate journeys and then we have a little touch point right in the smack in the middle the end of season three with Remember and the Portal. And that's, you know, they get really deep down in the weeds of going back and confronting their childhood shit together, facing yeah. up to shit that is really, really brutal. But they have to face up to it before they can even begin to work through it. And that's something that they have to do as individuals and together and reflect right. on what each other's experiences were. Yeah. And then we slide on in towards the beginning of season five is when Katra finally has her real shifting point at the beginning of season five in Corridors, where she finally has to make a real decision about what she wants for herself and for the whole world, the right. whole universe. And once she makes that choice, everything after that is sort of sliding into new territory mm -hmm. and being more intentional in their relationship rather than just being reactionary in all the automatic ways that they've been in their whole lives, because that's what served them and protected them from their childhood abuse. Right. But as any well-adjusted adult gay will probably tell you, what served you as a child that kept you safe 
will not necessarily serve you for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. when you finally get to the point where you don't have to rely on survival skills anymore. But that's all you know how to do. What a journey. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you want to thrive, you got to learn to move past your survival instincts. And that is no easy feat. It might even take five seasons of your (laughs) life. So do you want to start talking about in the beginning? In the beginning, there was Catradora. Yeah. And it was good. It gets better, but it was good. Yeah, it could be better. We've got the sword, Mm -hmm. the double pilot. So this is establishing their origin story and the relationship that they've fallen into. So, you know, this is the point where they're in it, but they've never reflected on it. You know, like the expression, a fish can't see its own water. Right. You know, they couldn't necessarily describe to another person or to each other or to themselves what is the nature of their relationship in a truthful way. But they know they want it and they know that it's fundamentally good. But of course, there's issues. Right. And they don't even have the capability of this point to To really reflect on them with any objectivity. Yeah. So what are the issues they need to confront? Adora needs to stop trying to constantly shield Catra from the consequences of her own actions and also thereby unintentionally taking away Catra's agency constantly. Unintentionally. Yeah. But, you know, she can't constantly shield Catra from her own choices. Otherwise, Catra is never going to learn to stand on her own two feet and what she wants to stay and do for herself. Right. Like, we know as viewers re-watching that Shadow Weaver fucked up their psyches and has puppeteered their relationship. Oh, yeah. She's tried. Yeah. Adora being that way with Catra is because of Shadow Weaver's treatment. Absolutely. You know, there's a horrible, horrible scene from the middle episodes that we sh- that we get to see that shows us some of the original abuse mm-hmm. that has put them in the roles that they play. Right. You know, if I were in Adora's shoes watching my best friend slash the person I love most in the world being horribly abused in front of my eyes and they're six years old in that story. Right. And we know that because in another episode that we didn't even watch in the future... Octavia says to someone that Catra scratched her eye out when she was six. And then in these flashbacks, it had just happened. Right. So that means they were only six years old watching this. What kind of agency does a six-year-old have to actually make an adult stop doing what they're doing? Right. Especially an adult who is like a fully-fledged sorcerer. (laughs) Yeah. I just wanted to bring it up to preface all these issues we're about to get into. Oh, yes. I absolutely understand... I understand both their (laughs) points of view so much that it's heartbreaking. And I think that's what the writers want. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can't fault either of them for anything they've had to do to survive, to protect themselves, to protect each other. And you know that their feelings for each other are real. But, you know, a lot of the stuff they've been through has just gotten in the way. So absolutely no judgment. Also, P.S. Absolutely none of us are therapists. Right. We have no special credentials here. Yeah. Yeah. So we both have different backgrounds that inform this dialogue. But 
nobody's saying that we're in charge of the feels. Right. And that yeah. we know and that we know all the answers about the feels, because who can say that? Oh, and there is one great line, and I mean there is a million great lines from the first two eps, but you know, this one really foreshadowing at, um line that Catra says as they're off joyriding into the whispering woods on the borrowed skiff when Adora just wanted to cheer up her girl because she was sad she couldn't blow anything up. Yeah. Um, you know, they're going off all willy-nilly because Katra is a gay that does not know how to drive. And Adora makes some remark about how like, whoa, you know, if you keep going this fast, like we're not going to have enough gas to get back. And Katra says, do you remember what Katra says? That's a problem for future Adora and Katra. Correct. And damn well right it is. Mm-hmm. You know, she can't think beyond the present moment. They're just going in. That foreshadows the entire series in terms of their relationship. They have to move forward regardless of the fact that they don't know how they're going to get through the other side. And that's how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's tons of foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. In the pilot. But that's just, you know. It's a big one, though. It, yeah, it's a big one. It's a big one. If we're going to be able to get through all this shit, we have right. to. It's a best of. It's not, yeah. a, it's not a comprehensive. It's It's a best of. <laughs> So unless you have anything else to say about the pilots part one and two, I would like to move on to Princess Prom. Let's go to prom. Okay, so my only note on Princess Prom, and it's all caps, is just a hot gay mess of angry flirting and dance floor scissoring and staring into each other's eyes so long you fall off a cliff. Thank you, lesbian Jesus. <laughs> That's an amazing note. <laughs> Like, if you're going to only have one note, that's an amazing one to have. I feel like that could be just like a poem, like a standalone poem. Yeah, for sure. The the princess prom ode, perhaps. (laughs) And then I had a sub note to that note. If there was a lesbian Jesus, you can bet that bad bitch would not be sacrificing herself to save the queers. She'd show up in a blaze of glory, wearing some light armor and brandishing a genderqueer sword in a blaze of light to save us how about that yeah that's the lesbian jesus that i want (laughs) lord knows we do not need any more self-sacrificing queers very true and i feel like adora never truly gives up that like catra will come to their side but at some point catra does give up that adora is gonna come back to her side i agree with that absolutely adora never gives up on catra but there are some problematic things going on with the way she frames it to Katra because I wish that she would say please more. She never says please. She always starts her sentences with you have to. Yeah. You have to listen to me. You have to X, Y, Z or else you're going to fuck everything up again. Mm -hmm. She doesn't listen. Yeah. No, absolutely. But like you're right. Of course, she never gives up on Katra. But so in Princess Prom, as forestated, it's just a hot game mess. It is. They're, They're both just fully reacting to each other. Yeah. They're both, you know, they're both fully invested and they're just living in reaction to each other. Messy queer feels, dyke drama, the whole nine (laughs) yards. (laughs) You know, and especially, you know, we all know that moment when Catra almost goes over the side. It's not even a cliff. It's like a giant floating mini island. It's ice. It's a giant floating iceberg. Yeah. You know, it's not even that giant. It's like a small area. Uh-huh. And they're fighting on this. This is a high-stakes situation. And yeah. Katra overestimates, you mm-hmm. know, she's going to elbow Adora. Adora moves out of the way. And now Katra has sent herself over the edge. Adora grabs her 
by her tuxedoed waist. Yeah. And pulls her back. And they spend so long just staring, staring. into each other's eyes. <laughs> But they accidentally <laughs> fall off a cliff. That's the there is no heterosexual explanation for this No, that's moment. gay as fuck. <laughs> that's gay as fuck. So we all love it. Um, but it, it doesn't have any forward momentum, but we all fucking love it. Right, yeah. It's a great moment. Yeah. So, and the next grouping of eps that we will talk about individually, but I see them as a group narratively, is what I think of as the middle eps which is Promise, 111, Remember, 305, and The Portal, 306. Those are the middle eps where we see the most flashbacks and the Mm -hmm. most amount of them reckoning with their shared trauma and their shared memories. Yeah. Promise is the one where Adora goes to the Crystal Castle trying to learn from Light Hope. And Catra follows Light Hope, or maybe it's not even Light Hope yet. Maybe it's just like the generic hologram yeah welcome lady and she just tells adora you must let go adora has Mm -hmm. no idea what that means and then katra follows her in and then adora proceeds to spend the entire episode trying to save katra from all the shit going on in the crystal castle that thinks she's an intruder even though katra katra explicitly tells her several times i'm not asking you to save me don't save Mm -hmm. me i can take care of myself adora cannot stop herself from trying to save Katra. And so at the same time, they're in the Crystal Castle, which projects their memories. Mm -hmm. They have to watch their shared memories, and it's mostly shared trauma, but some of it isn't. And this episode is so good at showing us from both of their perspectives how it was. Right, yeah. How it was for both of them being in the Horde, how they were both treated differently, and what their their trauma experiences were like. Um, And before Mm -hmm. we get, there is a scene in this episode that I think is like, if you can ever say that one abuse situation, one trauma is like the root of all the trauma that comes after. It's like all the repetitive trauma that's like the same over and over and over. If you can Mm -hmm. think of like the original, the original time, the most awful time is in this ep. But before we get to that, do you remember the scene where they are like 12 or 13 years old and they're sparring. Yep. Um, and Katra cheats a little by pretending to be hurt. And then when Adora, because she knows Adora's going to be like, oh my God, are you okay? And drop her guard. And then uh-huh. she, so that's that's fighting dirty. And then Lonnie steps and in. And then Lonnie steps in, 13-year-old Lonnie, looking quite heroic in that moment. Not even <laughs> looking for credit, just being like, yo, that's not cool. I was evening the playing field. That's right. Um, but we su- we see the effect it has on Katra that, you know, she's mm-hmm. triggered. She's clearly triggered when right. she feels ganged up on. Mm-hmm. She's no longer doing like a fun activity with her group. She is triggered and she feels totally unsafe. Right. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the point I was actually coming to is, do you remember that scene? Because did you remember to get a glimpse of Rogelio's hairdo as a 13 year old? No, I but I noticed that he had his arm around Kyle. He, yes. Also also a good thing to remember. Everybody, you gotta go back to episode 111 and just pause <laughs> and appreciate 13-year-old Rahelio's hair because it is dapper as fuck. Every 13-year-old lizard should aspire to that kind of smooth <laughs> smoothness. Um, but then right after that is the scene 
that is one of the most difficult scenes to watch. And of course, we're going to slap a content warning before any of this. So people who don't want to listen, don't feel able to listen, it's totally fine. We understand. Um, But the scene where they're playing... And Adora is the one who suggests that they go in the Black Garnet Chamber because because they're six years old and all they know is we're not supposed to go in there. So let's go in there. Yeah. That's very innocent. Of course. It's so much more intriguing when you can't go. Yeah, of course. And this is a normal childhood behavior. Yeah. They are children. So they go in, they're poking around, and Shadow Weaver happens to come in at that time and she's looking like she's rattled. Something just happened. She takes off her mask and they make a little noise. Adora. Adora is also the one who makes the little noise. Uh-huh. So not only was it her idea, mm-hmm. but she is also the one who made the noise that got them caught. Right. And then Catra has to take the repercussions for it. Mm-hmm. And that is really brutal to watch. Watching Catra as a six-year-old being frozen. Terrified. And Terrified. So, like, her pupils are shaking, mm-hmm. which is a very good effect that cartoons can do that is not yeah. real, but it really, you know, it's very visceral. Yeah, and she's got a little sweat drop. Mm-hmm. And the way Shadow Weaver speaks to her and tells her she's nothing. She practically tells yeah. her she's a dog. Mm-hmm. You know, she keeps her around, like, as a pet for Adora. Yeah, and she better not get in her way. Yes. And, you know, Adora tries to help. And again, I really see every side of this, because on the one hand, what can a six-year-old do to stop this? On the other hand, of course, there's part of you that feels like she could have reacted more strongly. She could have reacted faster to put herself between Catra and Shadow Weaver. Right, but she's also six. She's also six. She could have jumped up and down and screamed at Shadow Weaver. But, you know, obviously she's scared too. She's also only six. Right. You know, there's no blame to be had. These are children. It's a hard scene to get through. It's a very hard scene to get through. But it shows us absolutely everything about the positions that they have been put in all of their lives and how molded into those positions they have become over time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's all so painful and so necessary for them to confront this stuff now. Mm -hmm. The first sign of you knowing that it's going to be a hard scene to get through is when Catra clearly knows what's coming, and so does Adora, and she takes a step, and Adora says, you don't have to go in there, but she does anyway. Oh, that's right. So she actively chooses to confront it at that time. That's right. And then we end up, they walk out of that room, they have a fight that is mirrored and and cut between the fight they are having now, you know, in real time, Mm -hmm. and it's so effective. Holy shit. Yeah. And it's so so brutal and so necessary for them to have this fight, you know, because on the one hand, we've got Catra blaming Adora for not protecting her, not, you know, not in any way that would put her on Shadow Weaver's bad side. And that's true. Right. She did try, but she could have tried harder. She never risked putting herself in a position that would make Shadow Weaver upset with her, really. Right. And that it's also true you know, Adora now in the present moment is saying, you don't have to let her treat you like that anymore. You can leave. And then mm-hmm. little Adora said, just like I did. And Catra says, oh, right, because I have to do everything you do and follow you around everywhere you go. You know, and it's like a can't win situation mm-hmm. where they both just have to try to make decisions for on their own behalf 
and not try to think what the other person needs or wants or doesn't need or doesn't want. You know, they're adults now. They both have to try to make their own decisions. Right. right. And all of this is intercut with the Crystal Castle monsters coming after Catra and Adora determined mm-hmm. to save her, even though Catra's telling her, fuck off, I don't need you to save me. And it's pretty clear that, like, this is not something that they spent a lot of time discussing. It's just their natural instincts that they fell into without anyone, neither one of them gave each other any kind of feedback. Oh, yeah, I probably, they probably never gave each other any feedback. Right. So this is like a huge moment for them. Yeah, absolutely. Because survival mechanisms and coping mechanisms that come out of trauma are not things that you discuss when you're in them. Right. You just need it to survive. No, mm-hmm. these are primal feelings, primal instincts. Yeah. Things that have to do with survival are not methodically thought through. It's not in that part of your brain. Right. Um, but it's necessary. And by mm-hmm. the very end of the episode, Adora has no choice but to finally let go, as she was told at the beginning of the episode that she has to. Yep. Ugh, it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And there is a little parallel there, even though the situation is very different. Adora has to let go of Catra in order to become what she has to become, it's a parallel with Avatar um, when Aang has to let go of Katara, who is the person he loves most, in order to open all his chakras so he can go into the Avatar state. Nice. Yeah, I know that's a show you don't really know. I don't know it well, yeah, but yeah. I I appreciate a good parallel. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a archetypal thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like these two shows made up this idea right. that you have to let go of attachments in order to become a whole person and fulfill right. your own self. They're fighting so hard to hold on to the people they love, but the truth is they can't help the people they love or anyone if they can't let go and become a full person on their own. Right. Put your own oxygen mask on first. It's the hard truth. Mm-hmm. And that's literally the last Catradora-centric episode until the end of season three. It's so crazy yeah. that it's that long of a break. I mean, considering that season two and season three I mean, yeah. together make one season, but That's still, fair. it's basically like skipping over one full season and having just the last two eps and then skipping over another entire season, mm-hmm. picking up near the beginning of the next season. So that was our, you know, this is our touchstone between the mm-hmm. beginning and the end. And they have to process so much separately in all that on all that other space that we're skipping right. over. They're processing individually, mm-hmm. which is necessary and healthy. Oh, absolutely. But if they want to go on together, which we know they do, especially Adora, I mean, both of them, they they can never give up on each other. They can never let go of each other. Katra tries to make it, tries to spin it to the outside world and to herself also that she is just so obsessed with getting rid of Adora because Adora is her enemy. But she is still totally focused on Adora. Mm -hmm. And of course, in the end, when it comes down to it, she's not going to let Adora die. Right. But we had to get there. We had to go through all that fire and brimstone to even begin to get there. All of their fight scenes and every time that they go at it, I'm just like, they could never kill each other. (laughs) No, of course not. I mean... What kind of show would that be? Yeah. So we're going to touch down briefly at the end of season three with Remember and the Portal. And of course, Remember is a super fun app, right? We get a lot of Scorpia, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. 
Who could not love Scorpia? That's not what we're here to talk about, but I can't help it. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are people out there, I have learned. Really? do not like Scorpia, yes. Really? I mean, why? Why? I don't know. God damn. If you get us out of this, I will not hate you. I will just dislike you a reasonable amount. It's <laughs> <laughs> the most, you know, like she doesn't hate anybody. Yeah. God bless Scorpia. Right. But, you know, of course, it's wonderful seeing Adora and Catra in their ideal fantasy life together. Right, exactly. And many, many, many people, of course, enjoy the Horde Queen fantasy. Oh, yes. We know this. Including Meth. Oh, yes. <laughs> absolutely. First and foremost. So that's fun. But also, you know, the thing that pulls Adora back to reality isn't anything about Catra. In fact, throughout, remember, she's still trying to save Catra from this crumbling reality. So it has nothing mm -hmm. to do with Catra, what's pulling her back to the real world. It's, it's about the greater world, her external journey that she's been on, putting the greater good above her own wants and needs. So that part isn't really about them as much as the next episode is about them with the portal. And that's when, you know, by the end of, of the portal, Adora finally really has to let go intentionally. You know, at the end mm -hmm. of um, episode 111, Promise, where we just left, she had to let go because she was dangling off the side of a metaphorical cliff. Right. You know, she couldn't just dangle there for all of time. She had to let go. This is she has to let go intentionally because Katra finally pushes her to the point where Katra is verbally and tangibly blaming Adora for every choice that she, Katra, has made in her life. And Adora has never tried to fight back and force Katra to stand on her own feet, ever. But now she has to. Mm -hmm. She finally says to Katra that your choices are yours and they're not on me. And she's heartbroken. You know, whenever she's angry with Katra, she's also heartbroken. Yeah. Every time. She's never just angry. Right. But she has to choose between Katra and the whole world. And Katra still doesn't want to be saved by her. Katra is still just right. blaming her for everything. So she has to, if she, she has to make a choice. She has to consciously choose to let go of Katra. Yep. And so I did not do as well as you at writing down. That's okay. <laughs> episode names. But the episode, whenever... Adora goes back to the Fright Zone, and Katra gives her her sword back and tells her to leave. Mm -hmm. And then the next time that they see each other, she looks at her funny, and she's like, what? God, I knew you were going to be weird about this. <laughs> and she's like, it's just that uh, it's you like me. And she gives her like a noogie on the head. Yeah. She's like, you like me. There was a parallel uh, between that scene and a scene in their perfect reality. Mm-hmm. Where Adora says, you like me, and gives her a noogie, and they're even, like, in the same, like, frame mm. of the screen as mm -hmm. where they were mm -hmm. in the other episode, and yep. that, that one struck yeah. me. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Because they can say the same thing in a different context, have it be playful, or have it be confrontational. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And that is a parallel, for sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could argue in that scene that Katra gave her the sword and let them go because she really did want Adora to go so that she would stop being shit on by Shadow Weaver. Right. And the second she got back, Shadow Weaver was like, you're no longer a force captain. We don't need you as a force captain anymore because the door is back. Exactly. Even after everything Katra did as a force captain, all her work, 
Yeah, you know? and that's what she says, too. Even after everything that I have done for you, you still want her. Right. So it's easy to make a case that that's why Catra gave her the sword and said, go, get, right. get out of here. So, you know, that could go one way or the other. Um, and mm-hmm. that's right after Princess Prom, where there's still just a hot gay mess and nobody knows their ass from their elbow, frankly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, you're absolutely right about that. Um, that is a great callback. And there's tons of parallels, um, especially in um, in the alternate reality scenario. Yeah. Where they could be happy, but they don't know because they, they don't know what the world outside is in that place where they could have been happy just being in the horde. Mm-hmm. And also in the alternate reality, um, it's Adora who tases Katra and not Katra who tases Adora. I know! <laughs> I know! Interesting. And, you know, both times they do it for the other one's good mm-hmm. in the moment. Mm-hmm. And they're both sure that that's what they're doing. Yeah. 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 Good times, man. So... According to me, which, you know, it doesn't have to be a fact. This is just my opinion. By the end of the portal, that's the end of Adora's, like, emotional cocoon period, her middle period, where mm-hmm. she's struggling with her her patterns and her emotional behaviors and trying to break free of patterns based on shared trauma and based on childhood safeguards that were meant to keep themselves and each other alive. Right. And she emerges out of that being able to make clear and conscious intentional choices around Catra rather than just reacting all the time. Mm-hmm. But Catra is not quite there yet. And all of season four goes by without them really interacting at all. That's a season that they really need to grow and deal with their shit separately. Yep. And then the next episode that we get that's Catradora-centric is Corridors. And that is the end of Catra's middle story, looking back, emotional cocoon period, and the beginning of her really moving forward. It starts off with her still playing the same old game with herself and everyone else, that she's not invested, she's not attached, she's still their enemy. Um, She's, you know, on the spaceship with Prime, and Glimmer is their prisoner, and they're sitting at the table, the three of them, and he's trying to figure out what's what, what these two Ethereans on his ship, what their relationship is, with the people that he's trying to root out. Right. And of course, Glimmer, you know, wears her heart on her sleeve. She doesn't hold anything back. She's clearly very distressed over Adora's fate. Mm-hmm. And Catcher's there smirking and scoffing about how, unlike her, these princesses are so obvious with their feels. And then, of course, Prime is like, oh. Oh, yeah. I clocked you the instant that you came on this ship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gator, <laughs> like oh girl please you think you're subtle yeah elevated heart rate dilated pupils also like has anyone ever said the words she means nothing to me and had it be remotely true <laughs> it's like oh so you uh, are in love with her then so i shouldn't murder her horribly in front of you okay got it right yeah so and the thing that makes it harder for her i think is that she has so much negative self-feeling specifically because of the way that she was abused by Shadow Weaver for all of mm-hmm. her life. And she can't reckon with her feelings for Adora without reckoning with all that negative self-thinking about herself. And that's right. doubly hard. Adora 
has a lot of burdens that she puts on herself and she's feel she feels responsible for the whole world, but she doesn't feel bad about herself the way Katra has been made to feel bad about herself her entire life by Shadow Weaver. Right. And, you know, Adora has been trying, not succeeding, but trying to protect her from that that whole time. So her feelings about Adora are completely tied in with her feelings about herself. Mm-hmm. And that's why her emotional journey is harder. Yep. And this is also the episode that we remember the time. This is a sweet story. This doesn't have a heartbreaking conclusion, finally. We remember the time when they were little, that we saw Adora running to find little Katra, who's like hiding behind some crap in the hallway crying and comforting her and saying, it's okay, I'll tell them that you didn't mean it, I'm going to smooth everything over, we don't know exactly what's the what yet, but she said, you know, you didn't have to hit Lonnie, number one, and you know, you just have to say you're sorry, and everything will be cool, and we can all be friends again, right? And for Adora, it's just Mm -hmm. simple as that. For Catra, it's not just as simple as that. Nope, she hates hearing, and we can all be friends, no. Yeah. She wants Adora as her friend, and everyone else can fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, and she doesn't have the security to believe that Adora can be her friend while still being other people's friends. Right, exactly. You know, where is she supposed to find the emotional trust for that? Right. And basically the emotional sum of that is Katra will never say sorry to anyone, ever, 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 and <laughs> Adora was all always going to be her friend no matter what. Mm-hmm. And this was something that really stuck with me and made a deep impression on me because I was frankly so impressed by it. It was not about forgiveness. It's not that I was impressed that Adora was able to forgive Katra for slashing her face. You know, forgiveness comes easily for some people, maybe not for others. I was impressed with Adora's ability to have just unswayable faith in Katra's friendship, despite how much Katra lashed out at her. Right. She was never, Mm -hmm. she never even wondered for a second, is Katra really my friend? Does she really just want me to go fuck off? She just continues to smile and give Katra her love and continue to run after her and say, I'm always going to be your friend. Yep. That's impressive. It's super impressive. For a small child. And for some adults. (laughs) For many adults also. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I imagine putting myself in baby Adora's shoes in that situation... I wouldn't necessarily be angry at Catcher back because she scratched me. I would be sad and insecure. Like, I guess she really doesn't like mm-hmm. me anymore. She really doesn't want me around. I guess I'm bothering her now. Right. And I should go yeah. away and leave her alone. But Adora never has that thought for one second. Yeah. And then Catra has to, you know, live through those memories while she's on the ship alone with Glimmer and Prime. And her last, you know, memory... It's not really a hologram this time. It's just a vision of her memory is little Adora, you know, laughing with little her in the hallway, looking up at her, saying with all earnestness, I'm always going to be your friend. Mm-hmm. And that's a real turning point for her. Yeah. And that's when she finally decides to save Glimmer in order to save Adora. And Katra finally says she's sorry to Adora yeah. mm-hmm. as she's teleporting Glimmer into deep space somewhere roughly near their location. That's good enough, That's right? Because right. <laughs> she says, I'm sorry for everything. Right, yeah. right. And yep. I have full confidence that that's the first time Catra has ever said the words, I'm sorry, yep. to anyone. Yeah, 100%. And so, you know, now she's fully, yep. she's fully crossing that line into, I'm not going to let this happen. Adora 
save me a million times. I'm going to save her. Right. And she sacrificed herself, herself. Yep. to a, a likely a fate worse quite than death. Quite literally. Yeah. Quite literally a fate worse than death, probably. Mm-hmm. And now her middle journey is also done. And now they are both moving forward into totally uncharted territory in terms of their relationship with each other. They're moving past reactionary interaction that's rooted in the past and rooted in trauma to intentional choices in the present, which is awkward and messy, of course. Yeah. But it's also adorable. It is. My last note for the middle section is moving onward, uncharted territory, and then all caps, newly adultish, emotionally aware, gay Catradora. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So that's fun. Ooh, do we need a water break? How's everybody doing? <laughs> it's a lot of Catradora. Yes. Um, does anyone need a fan? <laughs> We're about to get to the hot stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's hard not to do this. We didn't even talk about all of the straddling that there was in the first couple, like oh, the first half of the first season. There's so much straddling. It's just like every time they interact, yeah. Catra is straddling Adora. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. And in Remember also... Yeah. In their fantasy world, there's also plenty yep. of straddling there. And of course, there's all the hand-holding and hand-reaching. That's a major visual metaphor mm-hmm. for the two of them. And yeah, I mean, the, the visuals of the show are so powerful. And, you know, that's why I love graphic novels and comic books, well-written comic books that really grab you. And it's not just about the action. The visuals, together with the words, achieve something that neither one right. can achieve independently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the visual graphics on this show are incredible. And I love the little moments when Catra's uh, tail will, like, just glaze Adora's hand. <laughs> yep, yep. Those are always the best. <laughs> Those are great. Like, there's also a moment in the next episode, not in Save the Cat, in the next episode after Save the Cat, which is taking control. I'm sure everyone remembers this. The scene when Catra finally gives in and agrees to let Entrapta remove her chip so they won't be hunted down mm-hmm. by by the prime ship. Um, she finally gives in and we see from Adora's point of view, Catra kneeling on the ground with her head down, holding on to Adora's wrist, yep. saying, stay with me. She just says stay. And we see her the way Adora sees her in this position of total vulnerability and supplication. Mm-hmm. That's a good moment. It's incredibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. There's so many incredibly beautiful visual moments, but we don't have time to talk about all of them. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, and also talk about the action and the words. So let's talk about Save the Cat. Yes, let's. Some people might think it's the most important episode in the whole show. <laughs> I don't know. It could be. Some people may even have Twitter accounts exclusively devoted to this episode. <laughs> yes, yes, If you're they interested, might. you could find an account that Mef runs just for fun, um, just for Save the Cat, at save underscore the underscore cat. It's actually kind of hard to find because there's a lot of Twitter accounts with the title Save the Cat. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great episode. It's it's a fantastic episode. You can never watch Save the Cat too much. Right. For me, this was the real turning point in the show where I was like, holy shit, the gay is going to get real. There's mm-hmm. no going back with this gay. Yeah. This is a bold force of nature gayness that nobody's putting a lid on. Like, yep. we are all in. And- you know, the exhilaration of this ep 
cannot be denied. Yeah. By anyone. Like, if you didn't stand up or scream or both <laughs> when watching this episode for the first time, like, get thee to therapy immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, so now all the cards are on the table. Everyone's ready to move forward. Adora's gonna get her girl. God damn it. Yeah. And the best friend squad is with her. Full force. Let's save some gays in love. And what better way to start fighting the totalitarian regime of terror with some smirky Adora. Yeah. Her cocky gay smirk at the very beginning when she gets off the ship and they immediately like cuff her. And she is so not concerned. Like, hey, her prime was looking for me. Thought it was time. Yeah. Thought it was time we were introduced. Like, oh <laughs> my God. It's so good. She knew what she was doing. Oh yeah. She had a plan and she was just all in and she was fearless. Mm-hmm. The courageousness of the building intentional, unbreakable gay love. Yeah. We have heard that it saves the universe. That it does. So, you know, we're not going to go through every detail, obviously, of this episode. We can just skip ahead to when Adora is talking to Prime, demanding Catra, mm-hmm. and Catra's Stepford wife reveal is so horrible for Adora when we see primified Catra. I don't know if anyone else is old enough to even remember that there was once a bitch in a horror movie in the 70s called uh, Stepford Wives. Oh, I remember you it. You remember? It's before my time, too. I'm not that old. Her expression when she sees her. Also, Catra says, hello, Adora, mm-hmm. instead of, hey, Adora. Yes. So, yes. you know it's not her. Right. <laughs> yep. And that flat, emotionless voice. Mm-hmm. Her head has been, not shaven, but almost... Down to yeah. a pixie cut, and god damn it, it's hot. But <laughs> nothing else about this about this scene is hot, but you know, the hair looks good, I'm sorry. Yeah. It looks good before too. But you know, the blank eyes, the expressionless voice, it's like if anything could be not Catra, it's an expressionless voice. And the look on Adora's face, yeah. as you said, is just so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And she starts saying all these things that Adora has always feared and saying them so flat and emotionless is like so much worse than if she was shouting and screaming at Adora. Mm-hmm. You broke my heart, but Prime made it whole again. It's just the worst. It's the worst. It's the worst. And Adora is absolutely destroyed. And now she has to fight Pod Catra because she has to, mm-hmm. because if she doesn't, then she's just going to end up getting beat up by Catra and becoming a prisoner too. So she has right. to fight, but, you know, the anguish in her eyes during that mm-hmm. sequence. You can tell even just in her fighting style that she's very, like, soft and careful in how she's fighting her because she knows it's non-consensual. This is not a consensual right. fight. Right. This is not a fight that Catra would be having if she wasn't chipped. That's right. That's right. That's very well put because she knows this is non-consensual on Catra's part. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see a few of those tiny flashes of Catra's real eyes. Yeah. And that, you know, gives Adora hope and also anguish that, like, her Catra is still really in there. Yeah. She just has to find her. She has to find her. And, you know, the fight keeps going and the chip gets damaged little bit by bit. Um, And then finally, they end up on the floor after all the glass explodes. And Catra comes back to herself long enough for them to have a brief conversation. And she says, why did you come back? We both know I don't matter. And Adora says, 
you matter to me. Hmm. And they're both crying. Like, this is so core to them being yeah. able to move on together. Yep. Is that, of course, Katra really needed to say that and really needed to hear Adora say, you do matter. You mm-hmm. matter to me. And then they're both crying. And then Katra says, you're such an idiot. And Adora says, yeah, I know. Mm. And there's one last callback to a line that's been repeated from their childhood um, when Katra says, promise. And Adora says, yeah, mm-hmm. I promise. Mm-hmm. Knowing knowing full well that she can't, she can't control what's going to happen. But she is yeah. determined to make that promise. And they have, you know, another hand reach where they're reaching for each other. And it's, again, so awful and anguished of a hand reach because Catra's hand yeah. is shaking so bad. She's fighting to control her own body and mind yeah. from outside forces. And it doesn't quite reach before Prime takes her body over again. Ugh. And seeing a totalitarian force of evil speaking through your beloved's mouth and using yes. her body, holy shit. Yeah, I would lose my mind. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> who knows? Who can even imagine how they'd react right. in that situation? Luckily, things are not that bad yet that we have to worry about that. <laughs> right. But goddamn. And then eventually, you know, Catra gets zapped by her chip. She falls over the edge and Adora fucking jumps over the edge after her. Without a thought. Without being able to see how far the bottom is or even what's at the bottom. Oh, yeah. She's all in. She's all in. And when they're down there, of course, we have some really well done and heartbreaking death rattle breaths from AJ. Yeah. Which like, whew, you know, when all you can do as an actor to express that you're dying is like breathe. Yeah, her voice is amazing. Yeah. And then Prime thinks he's won because she still doesn't have the sword. She hasn't transformed into Shira since she broke the sword. Mm-hmm. And then she says, I don't fucking need the sword. I got my girl back and I'm going to kick your ass. This is the first time she transforms into Shira without the sword because she manifests the sword. Mm-hmm. With the power of her righteous gay tears. Yep. And we can see, like, she begins to transform as the tears spring out of her eyes. Yeah. We can see that that's what she's drawing on, is the strength of her love. (sighs) And it's so awesome. It is. (laughs) Like, not today, Prime. No more evil dead lesbian stories for you. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. So, and then she literally appears. And, like, I think this is the part that we all get the most transfixed and worked up about because it's fucking amazing and there's never been anything like this on TV or film before. She literally transforms and appears as the most iconic, like, lesbian Jesus, queer superhero fantasy imaginable. Mm-hmm. Because we've never seen anything like this before. Literally ever. Is this when she gets the pants or is it... Does she have the new outfit before Yeah, this, this is the new outfit because this is the first time okay. that she's transformed since she broke the sword. So this gotcha. is Shira 2.0. We don't see the full transformation sequence right at this moment because ain't nobody got time for that. We'll right. see it soon again. But right now, you know, we just see her transform in a blaze of glory and magical gay light into Shira, you know, the new version of Shira. Mm-hmm. She she maintains her aura of glowing gay righteousness 
for a while. The whole time, yeah. This is like some Captain Marvel shit. Yeah. Let's just dwell on this for a minute. What happened in your body and brain when you saw this for the first time? I mean. <laughs> like, there, there are no words. Like, I know that. Like, I can feel the feeling, but I don't know how to yeah, explain it. it. It's, it's beyond, it's beyond the level of words in brains. This is such a primal thing. Right. Because we've never seen anything like this before. I know I've said it before. It bears repeating. I mean, it's monumental. It's monumental. We have never seen a queer superhero just owning everybody's ass and saving her girl with not even one lick of strain. She is, you know, drawing on the power of the evildoers to be like, no, fuck you. You miscalculated, bitch. Yep. And she does it all with Catra on her shoulder. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then the scene where she comes out to where Bo and Glimmer are and she's holding Catra in in both of her arms facing front like uh-huh. it's this iconic hero saving the damsel image yeah but it's shira yeah and she's still surrounded by glowing light and her iconic genderqueer sword and she just saved everything that was important and yep. they did something that no one else had ever done and they escaped prime which no one else has ever done apparently except for milog We'll get to that later. Yeah. And, you know, in the next episode, she just walks out into space, again, like Captain Marvel, and, like, beats all the shit out of all those spaceships until they're all gone with her sword. Mm -hmm. There's just nothing more epic. But before that, she gets to save Catra's life also with her healing gay magic. And... (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to talk about the very end of that episode? How they hug on the floor? Yeah. I thought... I mean... (laughs) It's, it, it, I get emotional. <laughs> yeah, really? What's wrong with you? You got emotional? Jeez. I know, what a softie. Yeah, huh? no, I mean, that, again, is a massive, massive shift, turning point moment, shifting point in their relationship, because all pretense has fallen away. They're both all in with each mm-hmm. other, and there's no denying it. Catra hugs Adora back fully yep and she's purring and they're just on the floor hugging and it's the best and that's the end of the episode and it's the best does anyone have a kombucha for me right now because i am parched (laughs) holy shit (laughs) it's a lot people oh my gosh and you know it's really hard to express the intensity of something that's so dependent on the visuals those last few scenes with the new shira saving Katra and she's glowing that cannot be expressed with words alone you have to be seeing it to understand the Mm -hmm. feels so you've all seen it you know exactly what we're talking about don't worry there will be some tiktoks oh yeah i know i know but we just have to dwell in that moment like for a second and just like breathe it in just breathe in all that queerness Ooh. okay yeah are we fully immersed in our new queer air I think so. I mean, not that it wasn't queer before. It's just like a a thicker queer now. It's just triumphant (laughs) queer air. Yeah. Yeah. And so all we have left now is the rest of season five. Not every episode, (laughs) but we've got Taking Control, which is the next ep, and Shot in the Dark, which is 508, where we meet Milog. And these are the eps where, you know, they're just sort of awkwardly and realistically fumbling their way into like how are we going to be with each other now that we're no longer acting out of 
childhood patterns and re- and reactions. Yep, they have to figure out their new dynamic. Yeah, and you know, it's realistic, just as Glimmer says to Adora in the next ep in 506, Adora's mad that Catra's being a brat, and Glimmer's like, this is still Catra though, <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. you expected her to just change into a completely different person overnight? Right. I also, I have uh, another parallel to bring up with yes, please. the the way that she reacts um, to Catra. At one point, she says, like, she didn't even say thank you. Mm-hmm. And it made me think of when Willow brings Buffy back. Mm. And she's so wrapped up in herself and how she feels and what she thinks Buffy should be feeling mm-hmm. without thinking about everything she's going through mm-hmm. and processing. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's the same for Catra. She just got her mind back. Yeah. And so she has a lot to process on top of just the Catra Adora yeah. situation. Yeah. And Adora's not thinking about that. Right. That's absolutely right. 100%. Yeah. In this episode, very clearly, and in the next few episodes ahead, you can clearly see that Catra is still working through the immediate trauma in the aftermath of being chipped. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's a really good parallel. So I already mentioned about how in the next episode, Shira walks into space, does some Captain Marvel shit, and it's awesome. And mm-hmm. Catra gets a legit welcome to the family moment when they all sit down on the floor and have dinner together. I know. I love that scene. Dinner a la Rong Hordak. Yes. <laughs> and it's a really nice moment. And then 506 and 508 are, I wouldn't say they're like light and fun episodes, but they're more light and fun than the ending. Yeah. You know, there is room for some lightness and some Mm -hmm. awkwardness, you know, in a realistic way. And, you know, 508 is when we meet Milog. And, of course, there is that fantastic conversation. Actually, before we get to the conversation when we meet Milog, um, do you remember the moment... When they're arguing about like whether or not there's a door they're supposed to go through, and um, Entrapta says, "Well, there's supposed to be a door, and Data never lies." And they're arguing about it, and finally Catra's like, "Okay, fine, you want a door?" And she just slashes slashes a door into the space with her claws. She's like, "Boom, there's your door." And Glimmer and Bo are just like, "Whoa, what the fuck?" And if you look at Adora, and her face is just like completely love struck, one hundred percent. (laughs) <laughs> she has so many little stars and hearts around her eyes. She's like, that's my girl. Full blush. Yeah, that is adorable. Duh. And then the next thing that's even more adorable is the conversation they have when they first all meet Milog. You know, first we think that Milog is attacking Katra. It's right. just Katra and Milog. And then everybody else shows up and they're like, whoa, what the fuck? Get away from our friend. And then, of course, Milog gets upset because Katra gets upset. And then Katra is trying to keep cool and get a handle on things. And she says to Adora, in a voice that we have never heard from her before, she says, Yeah. I'm sorry. I got angry. It's something I'm working on. Yeah. And Adora says, You are? Yeah. And again, like... <laughs> She's so proud. She has so many hearts. Yeah. And then Katra, again, like, she has a reactionary moment where she's like, oh my god, fuck off. Yeah. Again, like, she reels it in and she's like, she centers herself. She's like, like, yep. yes, I am. So yeah. can you please <laughs> not give me a hard time right now? Like, yeah. when have they ever had a conversation like that? Never. And Adora hears her and she's like, yep, yep, no, do your thing, do your stuff. And she backs mm-hmm. off. Like, they have never communicated that well. 
in their lives, I don't think. Nope. Yep. This is really when Catra starts communicating. This is when we first start seeing her Mm -hmm. communicate. Mm -hmm. So this is a really important, even though roughly we've discussed, well, the beginning part and the middle journey and the end part of the journey, you know, there's always like the middle of the beginning and, you know, the beginning of the end. And like, you know, this is, Mm -hmm. this is not quite the middle, but this is like, the, the beginning of what comes after the middle, you can't just go straight to, oh, so we're good now. We're completely good. Like, there's, there's right. you know, there's always awkwardness when you're tr- in a transitional mm-hmm. period like that of, like, we're trying to consciously move out of old patterns. So what do we have yeah. instead? If there wasn't an awkward period, then you're not really being earnest and trying to be open if there was no awkward period. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So now... Let's have some queer love save the universe. What do you say? Let's. So it's time for the three-part finale movie, as Meph and I referred to it, <laughs> which is Failsafe, Heart Part 1, and Heart Part 2. Um, they really are a movie put together. Right. Seamlessly. Just like the first three. Exactly. So through this, these ending three episodes, broadly, they both have to deal with the fact that Katra is now able to make her own choices in a non-reactionary way to Adora. And she, in fact, has to make her own choices. And again, now, she is the only one trying to advocate for Adora, not sacrificing herself. She says, it doesn't always have to be you. Yeah. What do you want? And all Mm -hmm. Adora can answer with is, it doesn't matter what I want. I'm the only one who can do it. It's the whole world. You know, I have to. And so that's Catra's answer. If I keep following you, you're going to keep throwing yourself into danger. And in this situation, you're probably going to die. Right. I don't have to stand around and watch it. Like, you, I mm-hmm. love you. You know it. But I don't want to watch you die. Yeah. And that's legitimate. Yeah. And I'm sure that she is feeding off of her own insecurities and thinking, well, okay, she's never going to choose me. Right. There is that. Which we see later. Yes. Yeah. And she does say to Milog, I can't remember if it's the end of Failsafe or the beginning. I think it's the beginning of Heart Part 1 when she's running away on, yep. on Milog's back. And then Milog just stops and be like, what are you doing, man? Come on, yeah. go back. And Catra says, she doesn't want me. Not like I want her. I know. Which, of course, we know is not true. Yeah. But it's also reasonable mm-hmm. to say, I am making my own choices now. I want to be with you. Do you want to be with me or do you want to go die? Right. I can't be with you if you're dead. Right. You know? Like, that is also reasonable. Mm-hmm. So that's something that they have to deal with now. And But of course, Catra does show up in the end because she can't. Yeah, she, she can't, can't leave. let her go. You know, if you jump, I jump, Jack. Yep. But that scene at the end of Failsafe, um, after Adora has taken the Failsafe against Catra's wishes, Catra begged her, she said, it doesn't always have to be you. Yeah. Which is very fair. But like, again, yeah. who else... Who else can do it right right now? All this shit is going down right now. And right now, yeah. nobody else can do it. Yeah. So by the end of that episode, everybody's sleeping. Milog is sleeping on Adora. Catra gets up. She gets her little backpack. She's like, I gotta go. I can't stay and watch this. And of course, as soon as Catra is gone, Adora wakes up because she yeah. has her Catra's, Catra's missing sense. Yeah. And Adora begs her to stay. They have that heartbreaking scene outside their little camp area. Yeah. I also think that when they get done with that fight, I think that um, Adora is holding on to the backpack. She is. 
She's holding on to it. I always wondered, like, what was in that backpack? (laughs) I always wondered. (laughs) Like, Catra left with it specifically, but did not actually get to leave with it. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that's a good question I never really dwelled on. It's probably just, like, clothing and supplies. I'm sure. But, yeah. But just every time I watch it, I'm like, and she has no backpack now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But that's how she's like, it doesn't matter. I gotta go. And, you know, like, she has to have the strength to leave. It's like she's trying to leave while she still has the strength. And Adora is left. I know that's such a heartbreaking visual. Yeah. Adora on the ground, just hugging Catra's Clutching backpack. that bag. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course it feels good when she lets Shadow Weaver have it. When Shadow yeah. Weaver tries to psych her up and be like, oh, you did the right thing. Catra doesn't understand. She's just holding you back. Adora's like, fuck off. I will never forgive yeah. you. You ruin people. This is not about yep. you. I do not want your input. And again, if you missed the first time, fuck off. Right, exactly. Fucking Shadow Weaver. Fucking Shadow Weaver, man. And while, I mean, Shadow Weaver is a great character in terms of being a great villain and being great to move the narrative forward. She's a complex bad guy. But in terms of like, I'm just a person watching the show, I'm going to be like, fucking Shadow Weaver, man. Right. Fuck you. Yeah. You do ruin people. Yeah. And though... I don't think Shadow Weaver deserves to be shipped with anyone because she does not deserve love. Um, I know <laughs> people. I know people have and do ship her with Castispella. And while I don't think Shadow Weaver deserves love, Lorraine Toussaint, on the other hand, and Sandra O, oh, if they got together, oh yeah, I have nothing but good intentions there. <laughs> Take away Shadow Weaver. Yeah, but leave Lorraine Toussaint. She can have Castispella or Sandra O, oh, whichever one she wants. That would be fantastic. (laughs) But, you know, leaving Shadow Weaver behind because fuck her. Now we're into the real finale. Mm -hmm. That's when Milog tries to get Catra to go back. Um, Of course, eventually she does, but she doesn't right away. And, you know, Adora tries to go do her thing. Meanwhile, Catra does end up going back for her. She goes back to the camp where no one is there except for Shadow Weaver. um, Catra also gets her time to say, fuck off, Shadow Weaver. Yeah. You are not in control anymore. And she basically forces Shadow Weaver to do her mojo so they can teleport mm-hmm. instantly to the Crystal Castle. She's like, I know you have the power. Now yep. now you do what I say. Yeah. And miraculously, Shadow Weaver does. Mm-hmm. And that's when they finally get to the turning point where Catra is like, I am not going to go leave you alone. I'm staying with you no matter what. Yeah. And so, you know, Adora saved the universe, but Catra saved Adora. Yeah. Adora would not have survived that without Catra. Yeah. And where we end up... In the very end, that beautiful sequence that starts with Adora's future fantasy, where she sees her and Catra as mm. chosen family with Glimbo. Yes. And she and Catra are married, and Bo and Glimmer are married. And it's what? Scor- is it Scorpia's first? Yes, it's Scorpia's first ball. It's, I know, it's so beautiful. And Glimmer's trying to brush her hair. <laughs> oh, I know, it's so cute. <laughs> and they're chasing each other around Adora. It's adorable. Yes. It's a beautiful, perfect moment. Of course, Prime thinks he can bust in, even on her fucking fantasies, and tell her how it's going to be. Fuck you, Prime. Right. You don't say anymore how it's going to be. Somebody else is going to say now. So in the end, Shadow Weaver does make good in one way. I don't feel that her saving them from the weird First Ones monster redeems her in a way that is like broad, all-encompassing. Right. It's one good thing she did in her life. And I feel like she got what she deserved. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. 
I am on board with that. And the way she says you're welcome to them with that smile on her face, like you shouldn't need thanks for doing the right thing for once right. in your life. Yeah. Like, oh, you're welcome. Like, yeah, thank you for fucking us up our entire lives. Yeah. The least you can do is this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But she does one good thing. Catra and Adora both survive the beast and they walk back towards the failsafe, towards the heart, rather, with their arms fully around each other. Mm-hmm. Everything's on the table now. They're not going anywhere without each other. And then the real climax is the next part where Adora loses consciousness doing her thing, using the failsafe, but Catra reaches in to her unconscious mind because Real Catra is really speaking to real Adora, begging her not to give up, telling her she loves her, yeah. reaching for her. Again, another hand reach, and Adora is only able to fight hard enough to save herself because Catra is there reaching for her. Just like yep. she was in their very, very first interaction in the sword part one. Yep. Holy shit. Full circle. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course... They get to frolic in a beautiful, euphoric world that is evil-free. And instead of a giant, ugly, invading spaceship, they have a giant space treehouse, mm -hmm. which I love that. I love that so much. And I know that they've said, at least Noelle has said, that that wasn't the original plan. The original plan was to just like blow it up and get rid of it. But then one of the storyboard artists suggested it. Or just did it to see how it would look. And of course, everyone loved it. And I love right. that ending. Ending with new life, with growth, with nonviolence. Yeah. Is so awesome. Yeah. Ending with flower power. And we got to see them kiss. We got to see them kiss. The kiss that saved the goddamn universe. You're welcome. Yeah. And then we get to see them with their foreheads together in a beautiful idyllic field. Just being in love. <sighs> being in love like two normal gays. Yep. Who no longer have to fight a universe's worth of evil. Yep. No more immediate danger. Just being yep. together. While they are both struggling to survive the failsafe process, mm -hmm. that's when, you know, Katra finally expresses out loud to Adora. She says, this is the big, big, big payoff. Don't you get it? I love you. I always have. So please, just this once, stay. Yep. And that's the final handhold. Yes, those are some very important words and uh, very powerful. Those are like... Fucking the powerful yeah. words that do it. That's the payoff of the entire series. Mm -hmm. Is Katra being able to just be that open and that raw and throw herself out there for Adora in every way. Yes. And the way her voice breaks when she says it is just like, Ugh. I know, I know. It's like equal parts knife in the heart and then like putting an extra thousand hearts inside your heart. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say growing your heart just growing like seven times. Yes. It's like all the things at once, all the feels in the whole wide universe jammed into your little gay heart at once. Yeah, I mean, and I vividly remember seeing this for the first time. I mean, and again, it's very visceral. It's not something that even happens in your brain. Right. It's such a gut reaction. Like, mm -hmm. I I remember I just stood up 
And I like screamed and laughed at the same time. Like, which doesn't really sound possible, but it is. It's only possible when your body's doing it without your consent or control. Right, yeah. You know, you're on autopilot yeah. at that point. And of course, we're all watching this. Well, unless you have uh, peeps that you're living with to watch this with, we're all watching this alone because it was the beginning of lockdown. Not the very mm-hmm. beginning. It was early on, early on in lockdown. Early on, yeah. At least in New York. I, I don't know exactly when each state went into lockdown last year, but it was just the most glorious, most mm-hmm. glorious moment. And, you know, you just feel so connected to, to everyone who you know is yep. also watching and having this shared experience, which really mm-hmm. does circle very nicely back to episode zero, when I talked mm-hmm. a little bit about the power of having queer narratives in in media like this is that it makes you feel seen and included in society in a way that nothing else can. Mm -hmm. This is not tolerance. This is fucking celebration. Right. Yeah. Obviously. Mm -hmm. This is by and for the gays. Yeah. There's no subtext. Yes. It's incredible that, you know, it got through all the approvals needed by studio execs yeah. And whomst ever. And of course, we all know that Noelle did the magics and they made it impossible for it not to be seen through because it was too core to the plot. But right. even all along the way, every little one of those moves forward yeah. is incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, they kept saying yes each step of the way. And to be here where we are and to be like, well, that just happened. Yeah. I guess I'm going to call slash text. Everyone I know right now, so we can all gay scream (laughs) together, because that's all we can do right now is gay scream. Yeah. Like, literally, all other functions are shut down. All the reserve power is going straight to gay screaming. Yeah. Yep. First, there was the initial period of gay screaming, and then there was everyone restarting it all over again Mm -hmm. immediately. (laughs) Well, I cheated a little bit. I started just at season... I rewatched season five immediately first, because I didn't... I needed to watched i didn't i couldn't wait right, for the payoff yeah, yeah. you know i was like i think i rewatched season 5 like twice before i went back to the beginning <laughs> and watched the yeah. whole thing again fair yeah man Woo! we made it we did it <gasps> we made it through the catchador journey holy fuck it's so yep. good ashley it's so good and it's so i mean for all of the reasons that you have already stated as to why it's important that we have this on a major streaming service of all places where you can just constantly rewatch it. And it's just like a major step in breaking that societal barrier. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's already happened and happening. Yeah. I mean, I have, I live in New York City. Obviously, I have a lot of adult gay friends who are raising kids. So, you know, it's fairly normal in my circles for all of my parent friends to have watched it with their kids and their kids of all ages and of all gender and sexual identities to, you know, watching this. And for the kids, it's just like, yay, happy ending. Good guys win. And they're psyched. And the adults are all sobbing. Like, I can't believe this is happening yeah. in my lifetime. Like, it's very different, but it is completely normalizing for younger kids, which is amazing, mm-hmm. amazing, amazing, amazing. It's a huge step. For everyone in society, by every benchmark. Yeah, and you know, I'm down here in Tennessee, so it's less common 
to yes, I know. <laughs> not have pushback from um, a show like this. But I recommend this to everyone, and many of them have watched it. And awesome. so, yeah, I am. I'm a huge. Uh, Everyone needs to go watch this and everyone's kids needs to go watch yeah. this. <laughs> That's no small feat in your neck of the woods. Yeah. Yeah. I feel very lucky to live amongst a sea of queerdom. Yeah. It's a privilege. I know. Yeah. Wow. That was a long journey. Let's go back and start at the beginning again. <laughs> okay. Well, if you like what you heard and you want to join us in more gay screaming or tell us in agonizing detail every beat of the Capture Dora journey that we missed or got completely wrong... You can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. We always appreciate it when you rate and review us on iTunes as it makes our gay screaming louder. You can also email us at heyadoracast at gmail.com with your questions, concerns, and conundrums on how to fit more gay screaming into your life, or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at heyadoracast. And if all that is just too much detail to stick in your brain, you can visit our website where all the info lives at heyadora.gay. That's right. I'll fucking say it again. It's heyadora.gay. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, queer joy is radical. And queer love saves the universe.